God's peace be upon you. Welcome to uh, Black Hole Tribal Audition, and it's been a massive uh, few days. And if you haven't heard, uh, there's a, a new king of Australia, uh, and um, it's a very interesting, but one that uh, is is quite a normal thing, I guess, with uh, with monarchies and, and uh, realms and uh, constitutions. Uh, but uh, joining me today, uh, Murumu, uh, with uh, Ganyara and Yurulam. And, uh, yeah, so we'll be talking about that. And, of course, later in the program, we'll have the second part of the Sky News panel that was looking at the uh, those for and against the Indigenous voice uh, and um, to Parliament. So uh, that will complete that particular series. Uh, but first of all, uh, Ganyara uh, and Yurulam, welcome. And uh, I guess, well... It's not your Ginger's King, but it's an interesting development, and uh, congratulations to Charles, I guess. Oh, look, 100%. You know, he'd been money waiting 50 or 60 years to get to this uh, position, you know, so it's been a while uh, in saying that, but, you know, uh, he's finally got there, and yes, he is a king, uh, a constitutional king, that is. That's uh, probably the best way to call a constitutional king or a constitutional monarch is a paper monarch. You know, it's all in paper, that world, and that, that bloke called Charles now will hold m multiple personalities. He'll be the king of Australia, he'll be the king of um, UK, king of New Zealand. So, you know, he's holding all these multiple roles, and, and good luck to him because it's a big job. You know, he's got a mammoth task ahead of him, just like his mother had. But, you know, that nice old lady, we've got to bear in mind that, that she is just another human. She's just, it proves one thing, that when you do die, that all humans are equal at the end. Um, and we do have this ability to hold personality. Uh, she held many personalities and, you know, she was a queen of everything just about. Um, so I wouldn't want that job, you know, for all the money in the world. But she did it and good luck to her. But now she's off to meet the maker and, you know, it's not if and when we meet the maker, but how we meet the maker. Did they contribute meaningfully uh, to all people on the earth, all of God's children? You know, you've got to ask that question, and you, and you sort of hope uh, that, that Charles, that bloke, will address many issues uh, regarding the sovereignty of the Indigenous nations, like on this continent, for example. He's got a hell of a job ahead of him, um, and if he's going to hold the, the paper king here, be the king of Australia, uh, which is different to the king of New Zealand and the king of uh, Britain or king of UK, they're all different personalities created under different legislation. Well, you know, he, he's got a job. He's got to address the issue of this, this coexisting sovereignty, the one that's been here from before the Europeans come. I don't know how he's going to get around that. Well, uh, look, I think it's a really uh, interesting uh, watching um, and hearing people talk about it. Uh, there's lots of Australians that are divided over the monarchy, for example. Uh, the Republican movement um, is, is keen to move away from that, but that's sort of, it's just on paper anyway, as you just mentioned there, the, the, the king part of it is just constitutional. Um, but going back to your comments about um, Elizabeth just being a woman, you know, only the creator knows the hearts of men. And um, uh, I have followed the, uh, a lot of the discussions on, on social media with, between the Indigenous Australians or the Aboriginal people that use Twitter, for example, uh, and they're saying that she, you know, amassed um, massive amounts of wealth uh, to the detriment of, of, of people around the world. Um, you know, unjust enrichment, uh, all these uh, accusations and things like that. And at the end of the day, um, you know, like you said, everyone will, will have to face the music. And uh, 
So I, I guess the, the roles of kings and queens is, is to keep peace and to serve, and she was a great servant, uh, no doubt. Um, but for, in terms of did she help the Indigenous people set up their governments and their, their kingdoms and, and, and all those things, I guess that's the another question. Now, uh, one of the other things too is that, um, you know, uh, Charles and, and Camilla, we spoke to our ambassador um, uh, over there and uh, I was saying that uh, there's a, a bit of a different view about Charles being king and that's going to be mixed as well. But uh, I think it's, it's, it's fair to say, let's, let's see what he does. Yeah, it's interesting times, isn't it? And yeah, it's a, it's a time for people to become a little bit more aware of the law they live under. You know, and for many of the nations, uh, pre-colonial nations of this country, they have a choice, you know? And that's, that's uh, something which is not available to many other people in the world. You know, they have, they're stuck with one, whereas, you know, here, the, the choice is to be under Australian law or create their own law. And uh, that's, that's, that's a pretty special opportunity. It really is, you know, the, the, what happened here in Australia was that a bunch of Europeans just moved in, into our house basically, and just sat on our chair. They just sat on one chair. But then they kept multiplying, so they needed all our chairs, you know. Then they took over all our rooms. But they didn't acquire the ability, they didn't acquire the ability to kill our law off. You know, that, so that's why we still have this coexisting sovereignty, the one that the Indigenous people live under and the one that the Europeans live under. You know, so there's two different things going on. Eventually, their, their thing transformed into the Commonwealth of Australia where they had a, a paper king or paper queen. And it didn't really matter what, who they are. It's just a piece of paper that's got no, no gender attached to it or no uh, colour attached to it. It's just, a, it's just a white piece of paper that says we shall have a king of Australia or a queen of Australia, whatever it may be. And it's all within Australia. So... But they didn't, they didn't take over our world. They actually enticed us away from our world and left it intact. Now that you didn't, you've realised that and gone back, uh, gone back to our world, just like every other Indigenous nation on this uh, great continent can do, because um, that, that goes back to that coexisting sovereignty. But as you just said there, Euron, it's all about learning, understanding what's going on. And you'd call that education. So is it up to the Commonwealth of Australia to educate us as to our law or is it up to our nation to educate our people regarding our law? You know, we, we've got to be careful if we say, oh, it'd be nice if Australia or the Queen of England or the King of England can educate us, but that's their view, you know? Um, so we've got, to, we've got to say, okay, we, we'll step up to the plate and we'll look after ourselves just as they've done. You know, if you don't govern yourself, you will be governed. Absolutely, and, and the thing is now that uh all the tribal societies, that is the pre-1770 Indigenous nations on this continent, can create their paper uh, leaders and uh, monarchs if they want, or, or, or prime ministers, chief ministers, as is the case here on the Indigenous Territory, it is constitutional. And that's the, the point about what we've been discussing for the last 10 years or so, is that where is your office? because then it becomes official that you have a government if it's created in the, the, the true and correct capacity. Uh, and that's what I think is really important about this message now is that it's, it's very difficult uh, to comprehend how one man or uh, can be a king of all these different nations. And um, 
uh, it's not unusual because in history, uh, uh, Xerxes, uh, Cyrus, uh, King of the Medes, and, and all these other characters, uh, Alexander the Great, for example, uh, uh, and these Roman emperors, um, that was uh, part of their, uh, um, that was quite normal back in the day. Uh, but here, it was a little bit different, uh, I would say, in that uh, people were quite respectful of uh, territory, boundary, law, protocol, things like that, which is, I, I have hardly heard in oral histories on this continent, wars between, uh, I've heard of wars and, and, and uh, raiding parties and things like that, but in terms of um, uh, mass wars and things like that, uh, the Dingy has had its history in that, in that it protected uh, people from uh, annihilation, but it's very rare, uh, not to say that didn't happen, because uh, we just don't know, I guess, unless someone has uh, uh, passed that on and uh, that knowledge. But <coughs> to to say that Yudinji can be the boss of somebody else, uh, there's only there's, there's only a certain way that could happen, and one is through, uh, like I said, a consent or, or conquest. And um, I don't think Yudinji is interested in conquering anyone at this stage uh, or, or in the future. Um, but if people want Yudinji to help them. Um, create their governments and things like that, we would certainly assist in that, but I don't think the ENG elders and the ENG nation and the, through its government is interested in looking after other people's affairs on that level. Well, it's the, the trouble is it takes a massive, it's a massive undertaking to get a government up and running, to get it working, to look after people. And, you know, like most Indigenous nations, um, labour is, is very short supply because they're all too busy working inside Australia to try and eke out some meagre living to support their family and, and, that, and, and the like. So to, to do the Yidinji way is a big thing, um, but probably the biggest thing, and this is where the likes of the Education Minister must educate the people to get them to understand exactly what's going on, to get the younger generation to step up to the plate because the older ones, just like the Queen there, like the older ones, they do pass away eventually. They've got to go and meet the maker. Now, how long will King Charles have? I don't know. Would you say 20 years at a good guess, you know what I mean? Will he live to be, you know, 90 or 100, 20 or 30 years? It's not a lot of time. Uh, but all their institutions are made and, you know, the likes of the education minister here must educate our young generation to step up to the plate, understand what's going on and then to start to govern, uh, step into the role of government. Yeah, of course, it's an interesting time to be, you know, coming into the world and, you know, for uh, many generations up to this point, you've been exposed for the most part to a world that believes that the lands that people live on are commodities uh, rather than responsibilities. So here you have the world's oldest, oldest um, cultures living on the world's oldest continent demonstrating that land is a responsibility. And, and showing that, you know, it's, you know, people, in, in modern, all the modern, you know, new age perspectives talk about, you know, we in the, we in the lands are one, and, and yet they still buy and sell land like it's a commodity. And this, this perspective of uh, connection and, um, and responsibility to the land uh, that was um, given to us by the Creator for us to look after and, um, and thrive upon, this perspective is lost in the world where it only sees dollars. 
So it's um, that that lesson is the first one that people have to sort of, how would you say, unlearn. There'll be a lot of unlearning before the learning starts. Yeah, one thing that um, Charles has uh, spoken out uh, in recent years is about climate change. Uh, he's a very big uh, advocate for uh, the protection of the planet. And there's no one better uh, than uh, that of the Yidinji people uh, that know how to look after Yidinji country. So I would say that um, that's something that would uh, maybe strike a chord. Uh, but not only that, uh, he's very familiar with the Yidinji territory because him and Camilla in 2018 received a, a visa uh, and that was issued uh, back then. And um, so uh, we do have a relationship and I know that <coughs> the uh, members of a certain family here have met with Charles uh, in London, um, and they are Yidinji family for example, uh, and um, that was a few years ago also uh, in, uh, you know, a nice uh, arrangement. So I, I would say that the Yidinji nation is, uh, 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 maybe we won't get a, a, an invitation to the, uh, the coronation, but it's known. And the reason why we're known is because we have a paper government that the rest of the world can see the paper. And that's the, the whole point of this. Um, Ganyara, I'm just wondering now, how will this uh, uh, affect um, the Commonwealth of Australia? I think what Yurlam uh, pointed out to earlier was that there's gonna be a lot of questions now as to why do we even have a foreigner uh, son of a Greek, uh, or, uh, you know, uh, and uh, son of a, uh, uh, an English um, royal member, uh, how can that be um, appropriate or even relevant to the Commonwealth of Australia when it's residing on the tribal territories here? What's Australia got to do with us other than it's on our territory? You know, what they do inside their world is their business. So, you know, whether it's a, a, like you said, a son of a Greek, but you know, that's, that's bringing into the, the paper world some sort of race. It, there is no such thing as racism or race in the paper world. Uh, yes, he's a human, um, and uh, Philip was, you know, Greek that, that married into that family, but that's, that's just from that part of the world. We're all God's kids, you know, we're all one and the same thing, come from the Creator. But in saying that, they bought their system over here. Why, what, what will it change? Why would it need to go to Republic? It doesn't really matter. The, the head of state is not a foreigner because that's, that was the Queen of, uh, of Australia before. Now it's going to be the King of Australia. It's just the, the human that, that chose to, chooses to take up that role, to be seen through that legal personality. But the legal personality, you know, King of Australia lives here and resides here. So it doesn't really matter. They're still an Australian citizen. Uh, they have this ability to, to be seen in the Australian legal system, but it's just it's, it's, it's pieces of paper. You know, a republic, same thing like Donald Trump, that's just another piece of paper. When he was the president, he was just a piece of paper. Joe Biden, just a piece of paper. Yeah, and, and one of the, the things is that um, uh, I remember, I think it was Tony Abbott that gave a knighthood to the Duke of Edinburgh, which is like, how can you do that when you're not, you, you know what I mean? It, the, so that's that's under the Constitution, as you've mentioned before. So there's certain uh, powers and responsibilities that can be activated inside the Commonwealth of Australian realm that would appear to be at odds with what we're talking about with the tribal law stuff uh, in terms of if that's uh, a member of the royal family, how can Tony Abbott give him a knighthood, for example? But he became, it was a knighthood in the 
uh, realm of Australia, the Commonwealth of Australia, it was an Australian knighthood, not a British knighthood. See, we often perceive words like you said, knight, as this bloke riding around in a tin suit, you know, the tin helmet on, on the back of a horse, you know, covered in tin. Um, but that was the old perspective, the old view. But when you start to create this paper world, this constitutional world, the, the make-believe paper stuff, you know, that you're seeing legally through in the, in the modern world, you're starting to create identity. Now, Tony Abbott had every right to bestow knighthood upon any good Australian. And um, that one there, it was right. He did bestow the knighthood um, to someone from a, a British or a, I suppose, let's, let's go back to the human that, that derived from over there. Um, so, but it wasn't bestowed upon a British citizen or a British subject, it was bestowed upon the Australian. And that's why he could do that as an Australian, the leader of Australia, he could do that, absolutely 100%. So don't get confused in the worlds of, of pieces of paper. Um, Australia has all this stuff and the King of Australia, King Charles III, King of Australia, will be make it all passing laws that are only specific to the Commonwealth of Australia. They can't give assent to laws based in New Zealand, for example, or in Canada or anywhere else around the world. All the law that he will give assent to will be Australian law and law only. This is how simple it is. Then there's the, the you know, you're going to be the king of the UK. Well, when he gives assent to, to law over there, it won't affect us over here in, in the Commonwealth of Australia. So this is what we've got to understand. It's all in pieces of paper now. So yeah, where's your piece of paper? Uh, is the question. Um, if well, where is it? Yeah, yeah where? <laughs> so yes, you're. Uh, I'm sorry. You're just. You know, it's if a lot of people. I'm, I'm just thinking of myself back in high school, and the discussion we're having right now would have bored me to tears, and I wouldn't have listened and probably left the classroom. However, the point is, if I did leave the classroom and try to do something without a piece of paper, I would have been in jail. And this is, you know, this is how important it is, is, you know, if, if you're not interested in this, well, put all your pieces of paper down, your licence, your birth certificate, and walk out in the world and see how far you can go under the laws who will govern you. Yes, well, you're listening to Black Law Tribal Edition, uh, the Royal Edition, that is, and uh, we'll be back after the break.
Welcome back to the program and for the second part of the show we are going to play the part two of the Sky News panel with Chris Kinney and others uh, and they're discussing the pros and cons of an Indigenous voice and uh, we'll have some final comments at the end of the show. This body can have powers given to it by any future government, Greens, Labor, uh, Liberal, whatever, in the future. Yes, but you, you know, don't know what powers it's going to have. They could do that now under the existing race power. None of us know what it could do. So just could I just make the point, though, on this big men politics, one of the excellent ideas that the co-design report put forward was the idea of gender equality. So I do think that there are some people <laughs> thinking really hard about these issues and wanting to design this in a way that is different to the institutions of the past and that really does empower grassroots communities, including women across the country. I think the can I, I, I'd like to speak to a woman who was already disrespected, disregarded and kicked off the voice process in the very beginning of, of, of these consultations from the, from, the from the very top level, which was Josephine Cashman, because of her concerns that she wanted to put on the table that the Australian um, Corruption Commission had investigated communities and organisations and Indigenous organisations right across the country and had found there to be corruption, crime and corruption was rife. And when she attempted to table this as part of, not only this issue, but the issue of individuals who are falsely identifying as Indigenous, which is a huge issue that we're faced with, she was, she was then kicked off um, that committee, and yes, yeah, she was kicked off by, uh, a, you know, a former colleague of mine, um, Minister White, but also uh, Marcia Langdon had a 
huge role in that. So it's yeah. not just, this is that exact politics at play, which we, will be embedded with the voice, and I can't support it. We need to continue this substantial debate, and we will do uh, throughout the rest of this program, but I want to show you a publicity stunt from last weekend when the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, had the former NBA basketballer Shaquille O'Neal come out to a press conference and endorse The Voice. Dean, you're trying to sell this idea. Does this sort of celebrity superficiality do more harm than good? Uh, when I saw this, Chris, I was actually out at uh, Kalkarinji in the Northern Territory uh, uh, with the Gurindji people out there celebrating the Freedom Day Festival. And it felt a bit weird um, seeing that. I have to say, I was a little bit shocked and, and certainly didn't expect a shack of all people. I mean, I, I think at, the, at this point in time, what it appears that the government is trying to do is, is, is to try and raise awareness of this issue. There was a celebrity in the House at the time. I think the, the focus of this has to be on grassroots communities. I think we should absolutely be getting the voices from the people. And as I said, I was out there at Kalkarenji and that's what people were talking about. They were talking about the need for their voices to be heard. So I think um, I prefer to be listening to those. They were talking about it. We will, talk, we will take a break. We will uh, pick up on that segue. We'll talk about some of those grassroots voices when we come back after this break because the trauma afflicting some Indigenous communities is all too clear. Poor health, education failure, domestic violence and tragedies ripping communities apart. Can a voice to Parliament help? We'll have a special report after this break and more from the panel. Welcome back to The Voice Debate, a special Sky News presentation focusing on the looming referendum. More from our panellists, Dean Parkin, Shireen Morris, Jacinta Nampachipa-Price and Andrew Bolt in just a moment. But first, whether or not you support a voice, no one denies the shame of Indigenous disadvantage in this country. On average, compared to the rest of the country, Indigenous Australians die younger, are less likely to finish school or have a job, but they're more prone to problems with alcohol and they're 15 times more likely to end up in prison. Sky News reporter Matt Cunningham has travelled to one of the Northern Territory's communities and looked at these challenges. Australia's beautiful red centre. But below its pretty facade, Alice Springs is a town in crisis. Racked by social issues stemming from Indigenous disadvantage, as more people from surrounding communities head to town, often in search of alcohol. A group of people are in the middle making a mess. They're not worried about white fella rules and they're not worried about black fella rules. During the day, men queue outside hotels waiting for the doors to open. At night, children, some as young as seven or eight, wander the streets unsupervised. There are still one too many families that are suffering because of, you know, the, the rivers of grog and the impact of alcohol on those families. A national debate has begun about enshrining an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice in the Constitution, but can it do anything to solve some of the social issues plaguing parts of the Northern Territory. If we talk about the, you know, the whole process of voice, tr truth, treaty, um, truth is a big part of it. And I think that Aboriginal people need to sit down. We've all got different views um, and we all need to tell some home truths to each other, but work together to try and get a better outcome for our mob. This voice will be a handball so that politicians don't have to take responsibility for the decisions that they're making or not making on behalf of vulnerable Australians. 
Alice Springs councillor Michael Little runs training programs for Indigenous men trying to adapt to a white man's world. Would they support a voice to Parliament? Well, I'll probably shrug the shoulder and say that's good because the education isn't there about the purpose of having a voice in Canberra. Half of the people wouldn't even vote, I'm pretty sure of it. In late July, Anthony Albanese put the national focus on the voice with a speech at the Gama Festival in northeast Arnhem Land. Just two weeks earlier, there was an incident outside Alice Springs that attracted far less media attention. 30-year-old Alina Kulka and her infant son Orlando were shot dead by her violent partner in what police say was a murder-suicide. I don't want this to happen to another Indigenous woman and her baby. If something can come out of this that protects women and children, then that's what the government needs to do, that's what the community needs to do. We need to protect the most vulnerable people in the community. Alina's uncle, Mark Lockyer, grew up in an Alice Springs town camp. He says the voice debate is a world away from the issues facing many Aboriginal people. I don't think it really matters to me. It's not important. I think the most important to people in um, communities here is having a safe place to live. Matt Cunningham there in the Territory. Jacinta, you've lived these issues, you've suffered tragedies in your family, you've tried to draw attention to these issues and you say politicians don't want to hear about it. Wouldn't a voice be a way to bring them to the attention of politicians? You know who, wants to, who doesn't want to hear about it more than politicians? It's Indigenous people who have been part of the grievance industry who they're, they're the ones that don't want to hear about it because as long as Aboriginal people are marginalised, their positions remain in place. If we actually if we actually approached our issues with some truth, I hear the word truth being talked a lot, and I would like to have seen Marion right here on this panel as well. Um, I should point out we invited the Indigenous Affairs Minister Linda Burney, the Assistant Minister Malandiri McCarthy, and of course Marion Scringemore. They all accepted at various times and then didn't turn up. And, and that's disappointing. And, 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 and that's, that's the point I want to make, is that it, Justice Kelly uh, recently made points about this. The fact that we're too, we're too interested in looking like we're not a racist country, that we ignore the reality of what's going on on the ground, the issues that I've been advocating for for so long. And I really don't see how this model is actually going to address that. There's no way it's, it's, it's confronted these issues. And it is, again, as Mark pointed out, the most marginalised, uneducated, who don't have a clue what's going on. So therefore, it, it is the elite who are driving this particular agenda. Um, and how those people are supposed to fit into all of this, I still don't see how that's the point. We need to get people in those positions to a point where they can actually participate in this debate before we even have this debate. Dean, can you make a voice practical? Can it actually lead to practical outcomes that benefit Indigenous communities? And if so, if, if not, is it worth doing? Well, you absolutely can. The first thing I'd do is put those two people that were on that film on the voice. I'd put them there because they know exactly what's going on in their community. I'd trust them to come up with the solutions for the challenges that they're talking about with their young people, with the challenges around the men and, their, and what's happening in those communities. I certainly wouldn't be leaving it to the bureaucrats and the politicians in Canberra and Darwin. I'd be sticking them on the voice. That's what this is all about. You don't have the, the rea power. The, the reality. That's, that's what the you voice... You don't have that power. What do you mean? You'd be putting them on this. Yeah. I thought it was going to be an election. I'd be saying... I'd be saying 
that those people on The Voice would be a massive benefit to those communities back out there, getting real solutions well, that actually it, work it, on the it, ground. In those communities, you're hoping that those people would get selected by their peers absolutely, to be on the local Absolutely, absolutely. That's been a driving principle of this the whole way through. That's what the people talked about through the Uluru Statement and all of that process. Cutting through the existing structures that do not listen to the people like Michael and others who actually know what's working on the Excuse ground. Me, the people who do not listen. I followed Jacinta's career for so long and she was talking about this stuff. She got crapped on from such a great height by Aboriginal community leaders for so long, it was a disgrace. And you only need to look back at ATSIC, right? The Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Commission. That is the body, that, the kind of body that you're talking about, but you want to make it permanent, almost unsackable. You want it in the constitution. No, I, I, while it was there, while it was there, it was riven by allegations of corruption, big man politics. There were people going around. There were reports like Bonnie Robertson's report on sexual violence in Queensland, which would make a stone cry what, what it described. What did they do? Nothing. Let, Don't talk about white bureaucrats. You have a look at what Justice Kelly has just been saying I'll, I'll in the papers. That, I'll come to that in a second, Andrew. I just want to address that ATSIC issue. Uh, Shireen, we all know that ATSIC uh, uh, was a representative body and a funding body. We know it was corrupted and we know it was abolished. How can a voice not repeat those mistakes? Well, I think we've got to learn from the strengths and weaknesses of ATSIC. And we've got to be honest in having these very honest and um, very detailed design discussions that we need to have. Um, so I think one clear difference that the co-design report points out is that this will be an advisory consultative body. It won't be in charge of funding and administration. Um, secondly, I just Sorry, want to go... Sorry, that's not true, by the way. That's not true. I just want to go to what the um, video brought up in terms of alcohol. I think this is a fantastic example of why something better is needed. Very recently in the Northern Territory, we've seen alcohol bans being removed against the wishes of many Indigenous communities. That is a perfect example of how grassroots voices are not being heard when so many um, people in communities were saying, please don't remove alcohol well, bans. I'm a senator right. for the Northern Territory. I'm drafting a Senate private senator's bill to re-establish those that, that's what my position is as an elected member, representative of the Northern Territory. The people that, that, I, that I represent have called for these bans to be put back in place, so that's what I'm that, doing. That's, the, that's what you're doing. Within under, but what the about Shireen's point? That, within uh, the parliament. The, the, it, it, under a voice mechanism, if a government like the Territory government or the Federal government was going to do something like get rid of those alcohol bans, there would be an opportunity for a voice <laughs> to actually advise them. It might say, no, don't do it, before they actually go ahead but and do it. But those voices are there. So what but is wrong? No, no, no. What wrong is the, the Labor government that, of course, you're, you were previously a candidate for? Marion Scrimgeour is right there. She is within Parliament. It is within her power to actually listen, do what those voices have asked of her to do. How is this constitutionally enshrined um, voice? Do we need to be constitutionally enshrined to actually get the people who are in power to put those changes into place? Especially since this voice mechanism can be shrugged off by whoever's in power anyway. No, I think you do, as Karina Ocatel pointed out. You know, legislative requirements to consult with the community in the NT were swept aside. 
right? They were swept aside. That is why you need a constitutional guarantee to change the culture. <laughs> and harm could have been avoided, frankly. So, harm uh, could so, have been avoided. So, so this, this, we are redundant. We are redundant as a democracy right now. So this Labor government is redundant. It cannot put its foot forward and, and man up, Albanese can't man up, to make the decision to reinstate alcohol bans given that people are dying. You're telling me only a voice can make that no, happen. I'm saying we can improve the system so that communities don't get ignored. And I'm saying I think he, can, he can step The logic obviously. is not there because we're told this is a purely advisory body, right? So it's about getting advice. Well, this government is getting advice from lots of people, from Jacinta, from people in Northern Territory, from what? Don't do it. Uh, and the Northern Territory government is getting advice. Don't do it. They're still doing it. So what's the difference? It's constituted, but it has no power. So how's the difference? There is no difference. Well, uh, is we'll, there? we'll come back to that topic. There's Obviously, no we'll carry weight. I think the required consultation and the required receiving of advice is a real difference. Are people it's pushing this up, getting this advice right now. I let think us, those let voices right? were swept right aside. Now. Let, let me move on. We just mentioned, uh, Andrew just mentioned Justice uh, Judith Kelly, a Northern Territory Supreme Court judge who made a powerful speech just a week ago, some of which has been reported in the media. I want to show you something of what she said about the situation in the Territory. She said, everyone is willing to talk about the over-representation of Aboriginal men in prison. It's been called Australia's shame, and so it is. But as I've said before, the stream of Aboriginal men going to prison is matched by a steady stream, a river, of Aboriginal women going to the hospital and the morgue. It's an epidemic of extreme domestic violence, and I'm certainly not the only one to point it out. Let's get your perspective on this, Dean, because it comes back to this practical advantage of a voice. We've heard about uh, people complaining about the wrong decisions being made. Why would a voice, why would its advice actually carry more weight and force politicians to tackle these issues? Well, firstly, the idea of going to a referendum and taking the Australian people along with us on this journey is really important in this. The idea that the majority of Australians and the majority of people in the majority of states, getting that double majority up, um, giving their support, giving the popular will of the Australian people to say, this voice is important. It is very important that we have the voices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people from the communities advising the politicians. Quite frankly, if the politicians had all the answers, we wouldn't be seeing these problems right now. It would have been fixed. So clearly, that situation can absolutely be complemented. It is fantastic that we've got Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples in the parliament right now. Um, and we know that by bringing the voices of more grassroots people to decision-making about what happens in communities is absolutely going to see better results on the ground. Andrew, just let me put this question to you, because your argument just now is really that a voice might not be effective, that uh, governments might not listen to it, and governments will continue some of the mistakes they've made in the past. Fine. But what do you fear from the voice? What could it actually do that might make things worse? My argument is slightly different. It's uh, totally redundant, because there are voices now, and the people pushing this uh, this voice thing aren't listening to them, okay? Mm. So uh, they're not obliged to listen to them anyway. Uh, if, if advice is what you want, it is out there. My whole point is the advice is out there. This voice offers nothing except a, a privileged, entrenched bureaucracy. Mm. And what could it lead to? 
Well, uh, the fact is, if you automatically, if you think philosophically, uh, people with some Aboriginal ancestry are so different from the rest of us that they need their own parliament, right? It's something that no other race of people in this country can have then you're obviously conceding that perhaps this is a different form of sovereignty also. And in fact, the Dean's uh, voice says we don't cede sovereignty. Next on the agenda is a treaty. In fact, you've already got, like around Cairns, for instance, the Yadinji Nation, people setting up what they call separate sovereign nations, which Linda Burney, I took her to one of them, the Aboriginal, uh, 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 Indigenous Affairs Australians Minister, I took her to that and she said, this is a model that I support. So philosophically, when you think people by virtue of their race are so different from the rest of us, they need their own parliament, you're on the way to their own government. And don't tell me, oh, look, uh, it's only advisory. You don't know what a High Court could do. Mm. You've got no idea could the I High Court has found uh, implied rights to all sorts of things, including, one last thing, including the right not to export foreign-born criminals from Australia, oh, you can't Lord. deport them, if they have an Aboriginal ancestry. Sh 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 Who Shireen, thought they could think of that? Shireen, let's talk about those <laughs> constitutional <laughs> risks, but also the idea idea of race as opposed to being Indigenous. Well, firstly, Andrew's completely contradicting himself. On one hand, he's saying, we, let's not do this because it won't change anything. It's only advisory and no one's going to listen to the advice. On the other hand, he's saying this is going to be sovereignty, separate nations, the world's going to end, Shireen, all you of deliberately that. misunderstand me. Well, what you're telling us is that it's only advisory. I don't believe you. Well, let me assure you that this was actually a concept that was um, devised in collaboration between leaders, uh, Indigenous leaders and constitutional conservatives precisely because they didn't want the High Court mucking around with uncertain symbolic language. They wanted something simple, modest, a machinery amendment that would merely enable Indigenous communities to give advice to the po policy makers in Canberra, non-binding, certainly not a parliament, Andrew, that is a complete and utter mischaracterisation given that there's no power to make laws, no power to veto laws whatsoever. No, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. It says, you say, you don't even know how it's being constituted. You don't know. But we know the uh, no. constitutional, we know the constitutional recommendations. Clause three of what the Prime Minister has proposed says, and it will have powers and functions which aren't defined. Do you know no, what no, no, that no, says? It actually says the Parliament. Yeah, the, the, the Parliament, Parliament will define, will define the, the Parliament which will Parliament? define any we'll, future we'll Parliament. Come back to yeah, any future no, no, we we better get to a, uh, we better get to a break. The Parliament will be supreme, and uh, that is actually the case now. But we can get back into this uh, after oh. the break. Well, that brings an end to the program, and uh, some final comments, I guess, uh, Ganyara and the Nurulam. Yeah, look, my condolences to the family. You know, every human uh, death is, is a tragedy to someone somewhere around the world. And they, and just because they may be kings and queens, they're no more or no less a, a human than us or the rest of us. So, look, we've got to say, feel sorry for the family, um, no matter what they've done. And I think in the good book it says, uh, don't judge your enemies, give them the shirt off your back and, you know, um, food off your plate. Let God sort out the mess that they've created because that's where they've got to go and answer it. So don't... Don't feel hateful to anyone, the queen, kings, queens, or whatever. Feel sorry for the family that's left behind and pray that they do meet the maker in a good way. So that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. Understand the legal stuff, the personality stuff, but also understand they're humans.
Yeah, yeah, of course, our condolences. And, you know, it's, it's an opportunity once again for the world to start clarifying the differences between cultural and economic and, and political type uh, works, you know, because they're, they're all the, all the uh, citizens of England, yes, really look to the Queen as, you know, many of them do anyway, look to them as an immediate family member. And it's very sad to see that loss. So uh, hopefully we can move forward in, in a better direction. Yes, and uh, the Indigenous Nation has, through its government, has made an official uh, statement on the passing of, of Elizabeth, the Queen, uh, QE2, and uh, we've also written to Charles as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, you're right, Ganyara uh, and, and Yurulam, you know, it is a massive loss uh, for that part of the world and for, for many here. Uh, and uh, uh, I guess uh, we can only make it better. Uh, and uh, you know, uh, good luck. And I, I sincerely mean that with Ch for Charles and, and his uh, his family. Um, and the Indian Nation is here to help and to work and make a better future. May God's peace be upon you wherever you are. In the Almighty name of Yeshua Hamashiach, for He is the way, the truth, and the life. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>